It's been a great day to sing of that beautiful name of Jesus. We love that each and every one of you are here. I'm so excited, particularly for those of you who are being sent uh, next week on mission to the different mission trips. And just, I love Easter, a resurrection day. It's the highlight of our year, thinking about the resurrection of Jesus. And I wanna encourage you guys to be thinking about someone that you can be sharing the hope of Jesus with sharing the gospel with. In fact, at the end of our service today, I'll go ahead and set this up. Uh, we have keychains, and we're gonna actually have you come down and write the initials of someone that you would love to come to know Christ. It could be a coworker, a family member, a kid on your son's baseball team, someone at the gym, it's just someone that God has put in your heart that, as best you can tell, is not a follower of Jesus. And we wanna have a moment today to think about those people and to pray for those people. So I want you to be thinking about initials to write in just a few minutes. But we're in this series that we've called The Race, and it's a fitting metaphor thinking about the book of Hebrews, because Hebrews is all about a journey. Now, a lot of you might be here for the first time today, so you haven't been walking through Hebrews like we have for, for months on end, but it's a, it's a book that's dedicated to thinking about the Old Testament saints and how they were trying to get to the promised land, but failed to do so because of their own disbelief, because of their own sin. And in the same way, because of Jesus now, we wanna persevere in our faith, trusting him and following him. So we're thinking about running this race, fixing our eyes on Jesus. And, and this is a difficult book, just to be honest, particularly for those of us who didn't grow up Jewish, which is most everybody in the room. Because if you grew up Jewish, you've heard all these stories about Old Testament, the tabernacle and the temple and the sacrificial system and the priests. It's like if you've ever tried to read the Bible in a year, and, and, it's, and it's great through Genesis, right? And even the first part of Exodus with all the miracles and the Exodus is great. And somewhere about the middle of Exodus, things start to get a little dicey. And then you head into Leviticus, and then you're just straight up struggling, right, to get through Leviticus. And all those laws and ceremonial parts of following God, they all set up why Jesus came. And in fact, they set up what Jesus is doing right now. So today we're gonna talk again about Jesus being this high priest. And I think these are perfect texts for us to think about. The Sunday's heading up to Easter and then Good Friday. It's a beautiful text, a hard text, but we're gonna do some work today. Hebrews chapter nine and I want you to look at verses, our, our goal is to go one through 14, but I'm gonna read for you verse 11 through 14 uh, just in the sake, for the sake of time. So if you would, get to Hebrews 9, verse 11 through 14, and then once you get it, uh, let's stand up and I'd love to read that for you. 9, 11 through 14. He's in the middle of this long argument about Jesus and all that he's accomplished in being this high priest. And then in verse 11, kind of come into this. He says this, verse 11, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things having come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made by hands, that is not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place once for all time, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes 
of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled, sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? That's a mouthful for sure, but let's, uh, let's pray to our high priest Jesus and ask for him to speak to us through his word. Jesus, we come to you and we pray as you are currently our high priest that this text would help us to learn better how to pray to you. It would help us to learn more about who you are. It would inform the way we sing to you. God, and most importantly, it would just shape how we live for you. Thank you for all you've done. Thank you for being our high priest. Speak to us now through your word. We are listening. And we'll pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The umbrella term that we're going to camp out on for a couple weeks is just this idea of salvation. And the next few chapters in Hebrews give us a chance, especially heading up to Easter, Resurrection Day, to think about different aspects of salvation a doctrine related to salvation. So we're gonna cover some theological words like redemption, propitiation, justification. These are all theological words that help us to understand and appreciate all that Jesus has done. And all of them get at this idea that Jesus is and was and always will be a substitute for us. That's the whole nature of the cross, that Jesus died in our place. He was our substitute. Now, we don't see that much in our day and time, people that act as a substitute for one another. Every now and then, you get glimpses of it. Like, for instance, I came across a story from 2018. There was a French lieutenant, a policeman. His name was uh, Arnaud Beltram, or if you're French, Beltram, you know. And, and this guy did something amazing. He, he, he found out and he heard that there was this terrorist who had killed a couple of people, had gone into a convenience store and had taken others hostage. He had a lady hostage. He said he was doing this for ISIS. And uh, Officer Beltram heard about this and went to the convenience store and negotiated with the terrorist and, and struck a deal. He said, why don't we do an exchange? You let her go and I will be your hostage. And the terrorist agreed to this and they did. The lady was set free and the officer went into the convenience store. And after a few more hours of standoff, the officer was killed and stabbed to death. And even though he wasn't perfect, what a beautiful picture of a sacrifice, that he paid the price of his life and she got to go free. In a way, that's what redemption is. You know, we, we hear the word redemption, we sing songs about being redeemed or God being our redeemer, but what, like, what's the word redemption even mean? It means something like this. I'll offer a definition. It's in your notes if you want to fill in the blank with this, but redemption is this. It's Christ buying us back from bondage and forgiving us from the debt of sin. Christ buying us back from bondage and forgiving us the debt of sin. In the first century world, and certainly in the whole Roman world, 
They were very familiar with the idea of being a redeemer, especially with debt. For instance, if you were a slave in the Roman Empire, and I think about a third of the Roman Empire was made up of some type of slavery, your freedom could be bought for a certain amount of money. So if someone was willing to pay the price, or if somehow you had accumulated wealth to pay the price, if the price was paid, you were set free. Jesus Christ redeems us in the sense that he, now we don't tend to think about it like this, this sounds weird, he bought us. He paid for us. That he redeemed us by buying us back from the bondage of sin and forgiving us for our debt of sin. So today we wanna think about redemption, particularly with this text, and and I get it from verse 12 where it says that, that Jesus has obtained our eternal redemption. So we want to think about redemption, and I have a very straightforward outline. I want to think about uh, the problem, the price, the purpose, and the promise, all because God loves it when these start with the same letter. So straightforward, let's just take some notes and learn about, about this idea of redemption. First of all, let's talk about the problem. What's the problem that redemption is seeking to solve? The problem is this, our inability to approach God, our inability to approach God. In verses one through five, the author here, and again, we don't know who wrote Hebrews from a human standpoint. We give credit to God for writing each and every word of scripture, but whoever wrote this in verse one through five, he wants to take them back into the Old Testament to let's let's just think about some stuff in the Old Testament. All right, so let's do that. Verse one, now even the first covenant had regulations for divine worship and the earthly sanctuary where a tabernacle was equipped, the outer sanctuary in which were the lampstand, the table, and the sacred bread. This is called the holy place. Behind the second veil, there was a tabernacle which is called the most holy place, having a golden altar of incense and the ark of the covenant covered on all sides with gold in which was a golden jar holding the manna, Aaron's staff which budded, and the tablets of the covenant. And above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the atoning cover. But about these things, I love this little phrase, we cannot now speak in detail. That's odd because it feels like you just kind of spoke about those in detail. But if if you're Jewish, you're like, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. A lot of us don't. And I don't have time, I'm not making the time, I should say, to go through these in detail. But if you wanna do a, a wonderful Bible study, look up all the cross references for all of those images of the Old Testament tabernacle and and see why they're there and learn even how they, in many ways, point to to Jesus. But let's just do a quick little 30,000 foot view tour of the tabernacle. I wanna show you a couple pictures here. So this is a basic picture of what the tabernacle might have looked like. And you can see it's a tent. It's a tent that they had to set up and take down, set up and take down. They traveled another place, set it up, take it down. This is how God told them to build this tent. It was a tabernacle. And you can see it has different sections in it. Now, when you zoom in, you get to what the author of Hebrews is calling the difference between the holy place and the most holy place. So if we zoom in here, we see, we see a picture of that. So on the outside of the tent there, you have what he says is the lampstand and the table and the sacred bread. This is the bread that the priests would eat. But then... The high priest would go into the veil and only one person could go in there. So not many people actually saw that unless you were the high priest. 
And as he just told us in verse three and four, in the veil, we have things like the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant. You can see a picture of, of what that might look like with, with gold on it. And, and in the Ark of the Covenant, you had a couple things in there. You had a jar of manna reminding them of God's provision in the wilderness. You had the two stone tablets, the Ten Commandments. And you had Aaron's rod, which budded, which was a story all about how God is saying through Aaron and your lineage, the Levites, the priests, I will demonstrate my power. Again, you can read all that on your own. But God gave all the instructions for one reason. What's the reason? Well, Exodus chapter 25 says it like this in verse eight. It says, have them construct a sanctuary for me, a meeting place for me. This is what it says in Exodus 25. Why? So that I may dwell among them. Now think about that. Did you know that God wants to dwell with his people? He wants to dwell with his people. Now the great riddle of the Bible is that we are unholy people and he is a holy God. So how do you get unholy people into the presence of a holy God? You know, we don't think enough about the holiness of God. We just sang a minute ago, holy, holy, are you Lord God almighty? Holy means that he is different. He is holy other than us. And when you appreciate the holiness of God, the gravity of who God is, it helps you then to appreciate the depth of our sin and the great riddle of the Bible is how do you get unholy people into the presence of an holy God? So God wants to meet with his people, but they are unholy people. And so they build this tabernacle and they go through these rituals that they might be ceremonially clean. And in the end of Exodus, God is approved or he's, he approves what they did. Notice what it says in Exodus chapter 40. It says, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Wouldn't you have loved to see that? I wonder what that looked like for the glory of the Lord. Was it just smoke? Was it a cloud like we see a cloud now? Just what, what, what did it look like to see the glory of the Lord fill the tabernacle? God longs to meet with his people. Now, what the author of the Hebrews is doing, he's gonna bring up all these things because he's gonna say that though those things were important and God orchestrated why we should have a tabernacle and how the tabernacle was to be built and all the rituals for the tabernacle, now in Jesus, that whole system is now obsolete. It's obsolete. It'd be like today if, if like I wanna start you know, saying, hey, do you have a floppy disk I can borrow? See, a lot of you are like, I don't even know what a floppy disk is, right? Because see, in light of technology, that is rendered obsolete. Well, in a much more important way, the whole Old Testament system of the tabernacle with all its sacrifices is obsolete in Jesus. So that's his whole point. Keep going, verse six through 10. He said, now, when these things have been so prepared, the priests are continually entering the outer tabernacle, performing the divine worship, but into the second, only the high priest enters once a year, not without taking blood, which he offers for himself, key phrase there, because the priest isn't just offering a sacrifice for the people, but for him too, because he's a sinner too. And he's doing this for the people and the sins that they committed in ignorance, even the sins they don't even know they're committing. Sometimes we, we sin in ways we're not even aware. 
But here's the point, eight and nine. The Holy Spirit is signifying this. What's he signifying? That the, very, that, that the, the way into the holy place has not yet been disclosed while the outer tabernacle is still standing, which is a symbol for the present time. In other words, if the outer tabernacle, that tent is still up, it means that God hasn't yet disclosed what that's pointing to. But then this whole point about Jesus is now that Jesus is here, we no longer need the tabernacle. And he makes a point here in the end of verse nine, accordingly, both gifts and sacrifices are offered which cannot, this is the point about the Old Testament tabernacle, it cannot make the worshiper perfect in conscience since they relate only to what? To food, drink, and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until a time of reformation. That's a lot of, Words, but what he's saying is that because Christ, we now are living in a time of a reformation. That Jesus has reformed this whole system that's bigger than just outer demonstrations that make us ceremonially clean before a holy God, but now he's gonna do something in our conscience. So the problem, why we need to be redeemed in the first place is because left to ourselves, we have an inability to approach God, all right? The number two, if you tell me redemption comes with the price, you have to pay something, what then is the price of redemption? Simply put, it's Jesus' blood. His blood paid the price. Blood is an image not just of the life of Jesus, it's an image of the death of Jesus. Now, we're gonna talk about this next week as we go through the rest of chapter nine. Uh, next week's gonna be a bloody Sunday. And I think, I think we need to think more about the blood of Jesus at, at times and, and maybe demystify what is meant by the blood of Jesus. But wh- why is the blood thing so important? If, if you lived in the Old Testament times, you were used to seeing blood. Now, a lot of y'all don't like blood. A lot of people nowadays are kind of germaphobic. You know, right now, if you're a germaphobe, no one's sitting in the seat beside you right now. Like, we love to wash our hands, we love to spray Lysol and everything. But if you were alive during the Day of Atonement and your parents took you to the Day of Atonement and you knew that this priest was gonna go in that belt, it was bloody, there was blood everywhere. I mean, they were sacrificing hundreds of, of different animals, blood running through the street. You, you, were, you would smell the blood. You would step in the price of your redemption. But what's so stunning about Jesus is that he's saying that his blood is now the price. In fact, in verse 13, for if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, that's the the point he's making, how much more will his blood Cleanse your conscience. It says earlier in verse 11, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things having come, listen to this, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made by hands, that is, not of this creation. Now this is stunning, especially if you're Jewish. See, we, we, don't, we don't get it because we didn't grow up Jewish, but this is stunning because what he's saying here is that yes, it's important to have the tabernacle. Later, yes, it's important to have the temple, but all of those things are made with human hands as a picture of a greater tabernacle, a heavenly tabernacle that Jesus has entered into. 
And one day, one day, we will see that tabernacle. Isn't that gonna be awesome? We're gonna see that one day. Jesus, our priest, has entered. He's, he's already there. He's already there. And one day, we'll get to see it. Why? Because a price has been paid. How much? The price was his blood. Maybe you know this old hymn that we sing from time to time. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged. You ever jumped under a waterfall? Sinners plunged beneath that flood. Lose all their guilty stains. That's why Jesus died. The author's making this point that because of Jesus and his blood, we don't need any longer the blood of bulls and goats and the day of atonement and high, we don't don't need that because you have a high priest and his name is Jesus and he has redeemed you, amen? Y'all with me? And, And so there's a comparison to be made there. Again, if you're new to the Bible, you're like, I don't know any of this stuff, I've never heard any of this stuff. And I'm not saying that the you know, 75% of your Bible on the left is, is worthless. It's not. It all points to God. It all teaches us about God. But you need to see that we read the Bible from the right to the left. We start with the end of the story and work our way back. And what we see is that what we have in Jesus is a better covenant. Like, here's a couple examples, the difference. Notice this. The old versus the new covenant, all right? Here's a couple ways. Old covenant, it's all about the animal's blood. New covenant is about Jesus' blood. And the old covenant, many priests, they kept dying on us. Even the ones you like, they keep dying on you. The new covenant, one priest. His name is Jesus. You don't need another priest. In the old covenant, many sacrifices for many different things. The guilt offering, the wheat offering, all these things. No, in the new covenant, one sacrifice by Jesus. In the old covenant, the sacrifices were involuntary. Did you ever notice that they never asked the bull? Think about it. Bull. Yeah. You want to go get a sacrifice? No. (laughs) Right? But in Jesus, we have a volunteer. He knows what he's getting into. I mean, we read Philippians 2 that he humbled himself and became like one of us. And we think that's so beautiful, this beautiful hymn of Philippians 2, this high theological hymn. Let me tell you the reality of that. You know what it means? He emptied himself to become a blood sacrifice. Voluntary. Keep going. In the Old Covenant, it's restricted, right? I mean, the temple, I mean, the tabernacle is like a tent. And that's great. It's temporary, New Covenant. It's definite. In the Old Covenant, external cleansing, ceremonially clean. In the New Covenant, God changes our heart. The price is his blood. All right, the purpose. The purpose. This is the so what moment. This is the, okay, what does this have to do with me and my presence standing with God and my life with God? Well, I'm glad he asked because I think there's two great realities in this text that should dictate how we think and live. And the first is found at the end of chapter, I mean, verse 12. The second is found at the end of verse 14. First of all, we see in the end of verse 12, he says that Jesus has obtained our eternal 
redemption. He has paid the price for our sin for all time. So practically what that means is that number one, our sin debt has been canceled. Isn't that good news? It's been canceled. Do you ever think about debt? I mean, when we think about debt, we think about financial debt. We live in a country, a culture, where debt has become normal. In fact, right now, there is more credit card debt than there has ever been in the history of credit card debt in this country. Right now, over 14 million Americans are carrying more than $10,000 a month in credit card debt. More Americans are just living their everyday life with a swipe of a card. And with each swipe, the debt adds more and more. We see it in banks. We saw the, the run on the, on the bank in Silicon Valley a few weeks ago, that there was a, a bill that came due, and for a number of reasons, they could not pay what was owed to them or what they owed others, and there was a debt. Can I tell you that those debts pale in comparison to the debt of our sin before a holy God? And we all sin. I sin, how about you? And every time you sin, it's like adding more debt. So you lied about something, swipe debt. You got jealous because they were able to buy something that you couldn't buy, swipe debt. You gossiped about somebody, swipe debt. Yet again, you looked at that image, lusted over that person on that screen, swipe debt. Debt, swipe, 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 and our debt is huge. You can't pay it back, but the glorious news of the gospel is that Jesus has paid your debt in full. Yeah, you can clap for that. Jesus has paid your debt in full, past, present, future. You have been redeemed, but don't think it was free. It wasn't free. It was free to you. It cost him his life, his blood. And you know the other thing that happens when we understand redemption? Here's the second part. It means that now because of Jesus, we can serve God with confidence and joy. See, in verse 14, he says, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself, real quick, eternal spirit, it's probably not a reference to the Holy Spirit. It's a reference to the godness of Jesus. That he wasn't just an ordinary man who was a high priest. He was the God-man. One of eternal spirit. He offered himself without blemish to God. And notice the difference. You know what it does? It cleanses your conscience from dead works. Why? So you can serve the living God. If you were here last week and you read Hebrews chapter eight, you saw this long quotation from Jeremiah 31. And that's this prophecy that God says in the new covenant, I'm gonna do something different. I'm gonna put my law on your heart. God says, I'm gonna put me in you. And I'm gonna clean your life up and your conscience. See, the thing about the ceremonial system of the tabernacle, it might make you ceremonially clean before God on the outside. That's why the priest would do all the bathing and the washing and all those rituals to make sure that he was clean before the Lord. But it can never really change you from the inside because of Jesus. It says you can have a conscience that is cleansed from dead works. Why? So that you could serve the living God. See, when you understand the price 
that Jesus paid for you, it changes how you live your life, what you do with your body. Listen to this quote by John Stott, who says this about redemption. He says, our body has not only been created by God and will one day be resurrected by him, but it has been bought by Christ's blood and is indwelled by his spirit. Thus, it belongs to God three times over by creation, he made you, by redemption, he redeemed you, and now he indwells you, he owns you through his Holy Spirit. How then, since it does not belong to us, can we misuse it? Instead, we are to honor God with it. By obedience and self-control, God, God's watching. What are you doing with your body? Are you living it out in the way that I want you to? He says, bought by Christ, we have no business to become the slaves of anybody or anything else. Once we were the slaves of sin, now we are the slaves of Christ and his service is the true freedom. That's the paradox, isn't it? It's, it's when we lose our life that we gain it. It's when we die to self that we live to Christ. And I would just, if we could just have a little heart to heart, I don't know who's in the room, a lot of familiar faces. But if you're here today and, and you don't know Jesus, can I just plead with you to give your life to him? To believe in him? Romans 10 says this, this is a good call to those of you who need to respond to Christ. It says this, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be, what's the word? Saved. You will be saved. For, in other words, the reason with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with a mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. If you believe and confess, believe and confess, you will be saved. And that's our desire for all people. See, we not only want to just enjoy the benefits of being redeemed, but we wanna help others. That's why I wanna end today by talking very briefly about, about the promise. What's the promise of redemption? The promise is this. God's grace is available, but for a limited time. Think about it. One day, Christ is coming back. It could be this afternoon. It could be this afternoon. You don't know what your day is gonna hold. You don't know what tomorrow is gonna bring. You don't know how short your life is. And until Christ comes back, God's grace is available for all people, which means we need to do what we can to help people understand the redemption in Jesus, sharing the gospel. I love what Carl F.H. Henry said. He said, the gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. I wonder what that woman thought when she was taken hostage by this Muslim terrorist in France thinking her life is over, and then some stranger she's never met does this unbelievable act of heroism and, and substitutes his life for hers. She's free. He dies. He doesn't even know her. He's doing it because of the duty that he signed up to do. But can I tell you that Jesus Christ didn't down a cross simply because it was his duty, but he loves you, and he desires to be with you. And that family member that you think about their initial, that, that friend, that coworker, Jesus loves them way more than you love them. Jesus loves them more than they love themselves. But we gotta go and tell them about the news of Jesus.
keep listening to Romans. I've, I've read a couple verses out of chapter 10. We'll end with this, then I'll have you come do the key change. It says this, for with the heart a person believes resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Isn't that good news? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then, how then are they to call on whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without a preacher? Now, I think you're thinking about me as a preacher, some, some guy on a stage talking to a big group of people. No, 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 you are a preacher of the gospel in coffee shops and in the gym. You are a preacher of the gospel at your kid's baseball practice. You are a preacher of the gospel in the break room at work. You are a preacher of the gospel. And it says, but how are they to preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Looking around, y'all got some beautiful feet. Smelly feet, but beautiful feet. You know why they're beautiful? Because you carry a beautiful message, and it's the message of redemption. So what we wanna do today is we wanna submit these names to the Lord. I know he already knows them, but we wanna do it in this way. I'm gonna ask in just a second for you to come to the table that's closest to you. We got some in the front, some in the back. And you're gonna quickly grab two keychains and then write the same initials on each one. You don't need to write the whole name for confidentiality. God knows whom these initials are connected to. And after you fill out both of them identically, you're gonna put one in the red bucket and you're gonna take the other one and either put in your keychain, in your car, on a mirror, somewhere where you'll be reminded to pray for this person and not just pray for them, but to share the gospel with them, which is why we give you the Bob reminder, burden, opportunity, boldness. Burden, opportunity, boldness. I love what Christina Weekall and our staff does. She, she said her, her timer for 8.08. It's the closest thing on the clock that looks like Bob. 8.08. Maybe you can do it a.m. and p.m. to pray Burden, opportunity, boldness. So I wanna pray for us and let's just have a moment where we just submit these names to the Lord and you just come down to the closest table then come back to your seat and we'll wrap up the service. But let me pray for you and you come. Father, I just pray if there's anyone here today who is not redeemed, they don't know Jesus, that today is the day that they would believe in the Son and they would confess Him to be the Lord and you would change your life. Lord God, I also pray for these names that we're about to submit before you to say, God, these are people for whom Jesus died. These are people that you love, people that you wanna change your life, people that you want to hear the resurrection message on Easter for the very first time as a real Christian who gets it. God, you can change any life. We can't, but you can. So Lord, use us in the coming weeks. Show and to share the gospel. We love you, Father. It's your name we pray. Amen.